This is the Athletic Football Show. The Athletic Football Show is presented by State Farm. Because like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Get a quote today. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. Today's Friday, December 24th, Christmas Eve. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend, Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing very, very well. I uh, Things are aligning. I get to see my family this weekend. And so oh, nice. Our, sun, our Sunday show, actually, I'll probably be in my dad's office. So we'll have a little more <laughs> memorabilia behind me than a couple of movie posters and a blank wall. <laughs> so for the YouTube YouTube viewers. I will be at my mom's house this weekend, which will be very nice. It'll be good to see her. Good to see my brothers. Very much looking yes. forward to it. Got a Christmas gift early today. They're bringing the Mexican pizza back at Taco Bell. Did you see this? I did not. Huge news. Absolutely huge news. I, a very important fast food item to me. Let me spend 30 seconds before we get out of here, before we move on here, about why Taco Bell is the greatest fast food chain of all time. It's because no other fast food items or places consider texture in the same way that Taco Bell does. The Mexican pizza is a towering achievement of human engineering because the second shell keeps it crispy. So when you either eat it right away or you eat it there, and I used to live right next to a Taco Bell in Chicago so I could get it and bring it right home, the crisp retains. And that is just such a difference maker with all fast food items. That's why the Cheesy Goitia Crunch is also an incredible invention because the the textures change. (laughs) The fact that you get the crunch is so important. Them doing away with... The Mexican pizza never made any sense. And now a total injustice has been righted. And it just in right in time. It's just the perfect time of year for us to have that sort of moment. And I'm really happy about I it. I think they announced, Taco Bell announced too, that they're going to be ser- serving fried chicken as well. Like chicken wings and stuff too. Like they're just. That they're, I care less about. I, I know. Just play, shut up and play the hits, Taco Bell. That's all I want right now. <laughs> what is your favorite fast too. food item? Like ever. I love oh I love Popeyes spicy chicken with their biscuits because I'm just yeah, like, the such biscuits a sucker. Big. I'm yeah. also oh man like fried chicken uh, Chick Fil A breakfast their chicken biscuits huge they, oh. I love the Chick Fil A breakfast the only oh, I love so a chicken biscuit for breakfast oh, like, it's same. one of my favorite breakfast items oh the Bojangles chicken biscuit like the also spicy filet biscuit is one of my favorite items of all time. And I like the Chick-fil-A one. And there's a place called Roost in Chicago. I don't know if it's a national chain, but they have a couple of locations in Chicago that they do chicken biscuits in the morning. And that is just one of my favorite things. I also, as a West Coast guy now, In-N-Out, it's been great. Uh, it's just because In-N-Out's not like the greatest thing in the world, but for the price point and just it, it, it hits a spot. It, totally. it just really does. And their shakes are great. And yeah, and my, not a lot of people like their fries. I'm fine with their fries. I actually kind of like them. So I think they're whatever. I, We've talked about this. I'm not a huge fries guy. I, uh, oh, fries are right. like not my favorite thing. I don't fast yeah. food fries. I think are a little bit overrated. I, I don't usually go to the fries very often, but the fact that the Mexican pizza is back at Taco Bell is huge for me. <laughs> We're actually going to talk about football today. We're going to dig into a lot of stuff associated with Week 16. We'll talk about a big Ravens Bengals game. Chat about whether the Cowboys offense really is broken, or if there are reasons for us to have some optimism. We're going to chat about Colts Cardinals, which is a very fun Christmas game. Before we do any of that, though, let's chat about the Bills and the Patriots and this rematch. I wanted to go back and watch the game they played a few weeks ago to see if there was anything that we could pick up on. It was such a weird game, right? It was. And I think that there are some aspects of it that you can hone in on and that were informative for what this week might look like. But when you're thinking about this rematch and not only the implications of it in the standings and all of that, but just the nuts and bolts of what it's going to look like on the field, what are you focusing on? 
um, and hopefully a normal weather game. Yeah, I, that, am, I, I would love to see them play a normal football game. It'd yes. be great. Because uh, I, just like when we originally talked about that matchup before we knew it was going to be a nor'easter, was I, I really want to see how Belichick plays this Bills team. Because you've alluded to, I think you put it the best way possible with Belichick, is that he can crank the dial in one direction or another. And they can just, they can play man, they can play the soft cover too. They bring some pressures as we watched them when against the Cowboys team offense, which felt like three years ago at this point, but it's totally different season. God, it's so but true. I, uh, oh God, doesn't it? And I really want to see how he cranks it. Does he play the soft defenses that have given this Bills offense some issues this year? Is he going to go, man, is he going to test? the Bills offensive line with some pressures like a Velociraptor test in the cage. Like I really am curious. <laughs> I'm really curious which way he goes. And that's what, when they first played a couple of weeks ago, I was, that's why I wanted to watch. And then I was like, okay, I kind of threw that game out. Cause it was like a mutter race. And yeah, I, I really, I, that's what I, more than anything I want to see It's like, what does he think of this Bills offense and how does he go against it? And I think that's going to be so fascinating to watch and we can get into it in a sec, but I, I think that's going to be such a cool matchup to watch. I know it's not, you know, anything revolutionary saying there, but I just think because they, the, this Pats defense can get after you in so many different ways. How they played the Titans was different than how they played the Cowboys, which was different than how they played the Colts. Like they just tweak their little stuff just a little bit because he's such a good game plan coach. And this Bills offense has a lot of tells um, uh, of what they do. So I, I, that's just me glancing at tape. I'm sure Bill Belichick with his, all of his minions are looking at this stuff a lot more than I am. So I'm sure they're going to be keyed in on some stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious what they're keying in on. So the Bills, their game plan when they, these two teams played the first time, it was not like the Patriots, obviously. They were willing yeah. to sling it around a little bit, yep. and they were spread out in the way we typically see from them. They ran a little bit more, especially in the second half, than we would ascribe to the Bills usually. But if you look at their approach – they were spreading out and they were slinging it around. And you look at the way the Patriots responded to that. It's pretty much half man and half cover three, which with this Patriots team, that's what they do a lot of, right? In this world of two high shelves, the Patriots are essentially like, F that. <laughs> we're not doing any of that, which is so funny to watch. But that's what they did. It was a mix of three and man. And they did a really good job of disguising that where yes. when they would – look like they were a little bit pressed up in man coverage. That's when they would drop to three. When they'd be in three, that's when they would kind of press up and play man. They did a really good job of even if we're playing with the same structure safety-wise on every single play or most plays, you're still going to have a hard time figuring this out. There was a play early in the game where the Bills ran mesh on third down. Obviously a man-beating play. Patriots drop into cover three. You're running right into zones. Doesn't work. There's a lot of that. So when I watched that game back again, it felt like if the Patriots do that again, and if that's their approach against the Bills, then the Bills wanting to spread teams out and kind of making it a space game mm-hmm. can work for them. Yes. Because if you're going to play like that, if you're going to play a lot of three against a team like the Bills that's spread out like that, and you're going to have guys run off on the outside, and you're going to have guys in the flat, and you want to kind of spray eligibles into those areas – you're asking the linebackers to cover a lot of ground. Yes. And that's the one area where this team really struggles personnel-wise just because the guys are so big. It's not even their fault. Yep. So I just feel like the Bills are almost well-positioned to attack this Patriots defense if New England plays the same way. If they're just going to throw five eligibles out there whenever they can. Hold guys down in the flat. Again, just hit that like little curl area because they did it a couple times in that game where Hightower just couldn't get there or Bentley just yep. couldn't get there. The problem is that starts to become a difficult proposition 
when you don't have Cole Beasley and yep. you don't have Emmanuel Sanders. That those like short area quickness guys against this Patriots team, I think would be really important. And now they might not have either one of them. Beasley definitely not. This Bills team, and when we watched them week one, that game will never get out of my head uh, when they played the Steelers, was this team was almost built to be a 2020-2019 offense. Like they yes. were expecting, why I'm saying that is against those types of defenses, those single high defenses. That's how they're built. Spread it out. You can't beat us a man this entire game. You can't run cover three this entire game because we're just going to spread you out and find those lanes. That The weaknesses of those defenses are in – if you do spread it out, is finding those intermediate throw areas, those read routes. That I know Kobe will be out, but they still run them with digs as well. Those little soft spots in the intermediate areas that Josh Allen can knife in there. And that's why it's so and, – and two, it's and the other thing too is in that game is Belichick knew where the weather was. Did he load the box because of that? Not load. That's the box, my question. Is are we going to see the same approach know, if the weather is different? And there's really yeah. no way to know. And no because if they play the same way, it feels like there are going to be plays available to the Bills because that's how they want to play teams. Yes. But yep. if the weather shifts and Belichick understands that, yep. are we going to see more of that soft coverage that other teams have played against the Bills? I think that's yes. the biggest question to me about this game. Absolutely, and. I'm watching this Bills against the Bills offense against the Panthers, uh, uh, rewatching it. It, it really, uh, so not only against the Panthers, but the second half against the Bucks is they have these RPOs that have an advantageous look to throw. And their best plays are when they actually hand the ball off and tell Josh Allen. It's not Josh Allen's fault. I'm not saying like he's wrong here. It's that you can tell they tell him, don't, don't throw it. Just hand it off because it's a good look for it. And it was the first or second drive against the Panthers where you could see that happen was – they had a pin pull. Brian Burns shifted inside, and it should have been a great pin pull play because that's a great, easier block for uh, for the tight end to pin his guy down. When they did it, uh, Josh Allen pulls the ball and throws it way over Cole Beasley's head because they were just sitting in soft coverage. The Panthers were. And it's like, oh, man. It's like, I get that that's the advantageous look. That's what you're taught, to, re- to read and throw that ball, but just hand the ball off. And I'm, I, I don't know what the numbers are, but it just seems like the Bills, when they kind of go against type, meaning that when they run the ball out of shotgun, they pass the ball from under center. When they show the look that you're expecting and then they do something different is where they have the most like good plays that come out of mm-hmm. it. And they need to, and it, they looked like they're trying to tinker it against the Panthers a little bit. They're beating up on the offensive line. That offensive line is going to have a handful with them pushing the pocket, them being the Panthers. Well, uh, that's Patriots one of the other things I'm worried Ooh. about here is that Deion Dawkins, I believe, is still on the COVID list. Yep. If they're putting Spencer Brown at left tackle against oh, Matt God. Judon, that could be a concern. Yes. Because he is just not ready and yes. not his fault. We thought, assumed he would be a redshirt guy coming into yep. this year based on the way the line has looked, but he's had to play because of the concerns they've had elsewhere. They've bumped uh, Darrell Williams into guard at times. I mean, they've had a lot of moving pieces along that line, and I feel like they're outmanned there. I mean, the, the Patriots' talent up front versus what the Bills have on yeah. the offensive line right now is a mismatch. How how the Bills adjust in this game for their personnel is going to be very – I think it's either going to be a feather in the cap to their coaches or like really like, Oh wow, you're doing that again. Cause they weren't chip helping for him. They weren't like, and that's like a little concerning to me is like, okay, if you want to drop back and pass and you're not helping out your guy that should be redshirting right now against Brian Burns and Reddick, like, whoo, okay, what are you going to do now against the Patriots? So it's like, I, well, I that's think, also, it hurts you, right? Because you want to yeah. get those guys out I because out, if no, you're, was... if your best advantage here is getting a lot of guys out and flooding yep. zones and everything else, and then you're worried about chipping all the time, yep. you're automatically kind of cutting yourself off at the legs. I mean, it's an issue. It is. And God, no, I wish I got in the Patriots bet because <laughs> it's like, but honestly, it's 
it, it, that's what where that's where I had the coaches that have to coach. Like they have to put this game plan together. You can't let the defense dictate what you do. I, I know you have to take into account what they're showing to you, but you also have to dictate some of your pace as well. And like going like, hey, Josh Allen is God, he's so talented. It's so incredible some of the throws he can make. Like going against, he didn't have the best game against the Panthers, but he made a couple of throws where it's just like Jesus Christ. Like it's, it's like he can hit those spots that two or three other guys in the league can do, maybe. And that's why it's like what you're saying. We're getting all the eligibles eligibles out is because now you get the ball out quick. But then again, Belichick knows that. Oh, God. So now it's like I just keep talking myself back and forth on it because that's the ebb and flow of this game. I really think it's going to be so telling on those first two drives if, if what the Patriots, how they're playing them. If they just all of a sudden you look and they're bringing pressure, it's like, oh, man, they're heating up early. Are they going to do the whole seeing ghost thing and then wad it up and then drop guys out and making all these backup offensive alignments sort things out? Like that. Which that's they did a little a bit the first time they played them. And they they're always going to sprinkle that stuff in. Yep. The other thing, they went to a couple different times, and they do it with Diggs a decent amount just because, obviously, it's a good spot for them. They'll put a three-by-one out there with Diggs alone on the right side. Mm -hmm. And when you're playing against a team that's in cover three and you have that safety then shifted over to the trip side a little bit, shaded that way, you have a ton of green space yeah. over there. Like That is a true one-on-one, -on -one, but the Patriots don't mind that. Like If J.C. Jackson's going to be over there on Stephon Diggs, which he has been, typically that's a mismatch where – that's where Diggs just eats on those hitches and underneath routes yes. because you're so worried about him beating you over the top yep. that he's just going to be able to destroy you on comeback plays. Patriots are pretty comfortable with that matchup, it feels like. It almost feels like they're putting you in that spot because they want you to think that's an advantage look for you yeah. where it typically isn't. I think that's something to watch. On the other side of the ball, Again, it, I don't know how much you can really glean from what that game looked like when they threw the ball three times. <laughs> three times. <laughs> but I do think there are aspects to it that are, are worth talking about because the Patriots, the Bills are a nickel team, right? Big like the Bills want to play in nickel. They, they want five defensive backs on the field. That's how they've assembled this roster. Against the Patriots, who have all this big personnel on the field, they had to play with three linebackers on the field yep. more than they would typically want to. Yep. So if you look at the numbers from the first game they played against them, obviously the EPA numbers and yards yeah, per carry numbers work. are going to be inflated because the huge Harris run came against base. But mm -hmm. even if you look a little bit deeper than that, the Bills had a 65.4% success rate against the run with four defensive backs on the field in that game. It was 77.8 with five defensive backs on the field in that game. They were actually better defending the run in nickel than they were in base last game. And some of that is affected yeah. by what your personnel is, how many guys are they blocking when you have those situations. But I feel like having number 53, whose name I cannot remember, as their third linebacker in that game, he had some rough moments. Yeah. It almost feels like they're better at defending the run when they're in those nickel sets because those are the guys they want on the field. Yeah. So it's just, it's, you don't necessarily think of that. It's like, oh man, having those big bodies is important against the Patriots, but they were worse defending the run in those moments. And Micah Hyde was also, him and Poyer had some really rough plays in that game where they typically don't. I just think that matchup is going to look a lot different this week than it did the first time we saw those two teams play. And even the runs that the Patriots get to, Patriots kind of vary their run game up a little bit depending on the matchup, which is, you know, credit to their coaches and what they can do if they have so many good players on their offense is especially offensive line is like the bills are like it's kind of classic in how their their skeleton their shell is they have a lot of their linebackers are off ball even when they're in base it's like a, it's a stack alignment they're not like putting a guy up on the edge 
uh, which we've seen for years and years. They're kind of like an old school kind of how their shell of front is. And that's why I think some of that with the Patriots, I don't think, I think they knew the Patriots were going to run the ball. I just didn't think they're going to lean so much into it. I don't <laughs> think any of us were you know, like, I, I, I still three passes and none of them were straight dropbacks. Um, but I think that's what they're going to learn from that as well. They're going to go, okay, this is how they got at us. Cause we're going to be in this certain runs better against certain fronts. And what the bills like to do is having those off-ball guys, so that's why you're going to see more gap runs because they're not going to get blown up and the, the angles are better, That you don't have to worry about the edge. Now the Bills know that. Okay, you attack this this way. All right, now how? Like, what's the counter pitch or counter punch to that? And that's why I'm very curious as well. Is Again, is I know that you know that I know that you know kind of thing. So I, I'm very curious. And uh, Do the Patriots change up their run game where they just go, hey, they, you know, they, we got them into this. We'll see if we can get, keep going that way. Are they going to run some more play action off of those kind of looks as well? It's that's what's also going to be very curious as well. Um, what what the Patriot run game looks like against this Bills defense? The one play they went to often last time these two teams played, and a play that a lot of teams hit a lot against the Bills are trap plays. Yes, they take such huge advantage of how aggressive that Bills front is, especially at Oliver. The depth yep. he gets into the backfield, teams can hurt them doing yes. that and i wonder if that's going to be a coaching point the colts crushed them crushed with them with it and is are they is it going to be a we're going to get to a point where it's like we cannot get that much penetration on these plays we're getting crushed yeah. the, the, our strength is becoming our weakness yes. in these situations do we kind of tweak the way that we're playing some of these runs in order to kind of muck up the front and not give them those lanes because those lead to some gash plays yes. if you overrun it and on the defensive line and your linebackers are out of a gap, that's where those huge runs happen. Yep. So, And even on the run Damian Harris had, I think it was Epinesa was the defensive end on that side. And he got penetration instantly. And mm-hmm. all Nikhil Harry needed to do was nick him. And that was enough for Harris to have that huge cutback lane because of how much he was getting upfield. And that is typically a strength of this team, right, is how aggressive their defensive line plays. But teams are using it against them. So I feel like that's just another thing to watch in this game. Really, really good matchup. Yeah, it is. It is. It's styles make fights. And that's what this game is. And that's what, yeah, speaking to like the front shell, like having those off-ball linebackers, that's what they have to do with the defensive line is, hey, get upfield. Because our guys, we don't have an extra set of hands to like help you, you know, help set the edge and all that. So that's their way of counterpunching. That's their way, or I'm sorry, that's their way of attacking offenses. And that's why they, you know, a lot of those teams when they're in pass sets or are defending the pass, you see a lot of games and everything. That's how they create edginess if they're not going to do it in other ways. So yeah, I, I know it, it's it's really cool. It's a really cool matchup because it's like you can see it. You can see teams' strengths getting used against them. Like just like you said, that's such a great way to put it. It's like a lot of it's like, hey, we know what you do, but guess what? We're gonna we got this little off-speed pitch that we're going to hit you with, and then we're just saying keep going to it because you're waiting on our fastball. And it's like that's what's going to be really cool about this game. It's so nice that the Patriots have so many different runs they can go to. I mean, that bag is I mean, so incredibly deep. It it's is. a really big advantage for them against a lot of teams because no matter what you're doing up front, they're going to have something that they can go to. Yes. I'm pretty sure if the Patriots lose this game, the Bills are in first place in the AFC East. If the Bills lose this game, then they're on at the risk of missing the playoffs. I mean, that's how tight everything is right now. So this is a monster game. Yes. All right. Speaking of, let's talk about the Colts and the Cardinals. We haven't talked much about the Colts' defense. The Colts are eighth in defensive DVOA this year. They're seventh in weighted DVOA. It's a really good defense and a defense that's missing pieces but is still playing really well. 
So when you watch the Colts play against the pass last week, what do you think are kind of the hallmarks of the way they're playing on that side of the ball right now? They don't run anything too complicated, but they hide it where they disguise it so well. Mm-hmm. And it, they just make you work. They make you work pre-snap because you just always have to, they, they would show man in so many different ways, single high, single high. And then it's like, then they would just kind of run out of it. They'd run Tampa two out of it. They'd bring a pressure out of it, a simulated pressure out of it. I think a couple plays that really speaks to it is um, they made it look like straight man coverage. They're, they're bringing a lot more pressure than I was expecting them to against the Patriots. Like I was kind of, I was like, and then I want to look more at it other games as I go along, but they, they do it. Where- they do it in certain moments. Their blitz yes. rate overall is very low. I think they're yeah. 29th in the league over the course of the season, but even See, with, with Eberflus for the last, since he's been there, essentially, no. They've dialed it up in the right moments. It's yeah. almost like a not as exaggerated version of what the Vikings have done with Zimmer, where they're not a high, high blitz team, but they are effective when they blitz. The Colts yeah. have felt like that that at times to me, even though that's, they blitz even less. And that's what that's exactly what it felt like. And also, too, as you, that's a great example with Zimmer. It's also it's not to the extreme of this, but uh, uh, what Bowles has done on first and second down and Bowles is a lot more heavy pressure guy. But also, he brings those DB pressures at the at the time mm-hmm. you don't expect them, and that's why how you, how they get guys. I mean, now we see Antoine Winfield doing it, but he was doing it for years with the Cardinals as well, and it was so annoying. But like, uh, like <laughs> it is because you're not. It's like you're. Oh, they're not bringing it. They're not bringing it. They're not bringing. It. Oh shit, they got us. Uh, but uh, like, this is a great example. Is on second and long in the whole first half against the Patriots. There, it looked like Tampa two, Tampa two. Tampa two. They're like, hey, we'll rally and tackle underneath. Like they're getting them in second along, which also speaks to their run defense a little bit. But then in the first snap, the second half, it was second along. I think it was second and ten or second and nine. They showed Tampa two. Last second, they rotate down the man coverage, and you could see Mac Jones went, oh shit, and he had a rally to throw on the outside. <laughs> but that's what they do to you. They kind of lull you to sleep with this stuff, and they're like, okay, I know what I'm getting. I know what I'm getting. They had another one where they went. Uh, it was empty. I want to say it was third and three, third and four. Um, the Patriots went empty. The Colts line up, and it looked like a pressure look. It looked like they were running five across the board, and they had DeForest Buckner over the center. And you can see Mac Jones communicating with the center, like, for a while, kind of going, hey, how, how are we going? Like, okay, okay. And I think he made the point. What they're trying to do is get the – we're getting the offensive line to do a 5-0 set and have to worry about games because you don't want your DeForest Buckner on your center <laughs> on any on any down. He's a monster, by the way. Oh my god! Oh my god! So, so much oh fun my to god. watch. Um, but they they make him communicate, and then they went out of it. They didn't bring a pressure, and they just ran their coverage uh, out of that. But they're just making you work pre-snap with nothing that's too complicated. And when you're not going in a super complicated defense, like say a a Spags defense with the Chiefs, where guys are flying everywhere, you don't get busts a lot, and so guys can play fast. And so because the mistakes are kind of nullified, like they. If, even if they have a good play against you, it's a six-yard gain instead of a 60-yard gain. So it's like they don't get those gashes against them that a lot of te- other teams might that might run more exotic, fun defenses. But it's like that's – I think this speaks to them. They play fast. They play smart. And they just know when to be aggressive right at the right times. They know how to change up the look right at the right times. And really, it, it's cool to watch. And their players are, are playing well. Uh, I mean, I tweeted it, but that third and one with Darius Leonard – calling out the toss play that the Patriots ran was so cool. <laughs> he was in the like, backfield they, instantly, like teleported instantly. into the backfield. And he's t- he's telling to everybody else, he's like, toss, toss. You can see him motioning, toss, toss. And it's like, and then, yeah, it misses, two guys miss him. Like either it was either Kendrick Bourne or uh, or the other receiver, Harris. Like they they had, one of them had to get him. 
and neither of them had a shot because he was, yeah, like you said, five yards in the backfield. It's like that kind of speaks to him right there. They're smart and they play super fast. I mean, you mentioned Darius Leonard. Obviously, I mean, the season that he's had and just the sheer amount of turnovers that they've been able to create because of him. We know the turnover stuff is eventually going to come back to earth a little bit, right? Yes. That stuff does not sustain over time. But the guy's forced six fumbles this year. He has seven passes defense and three interceptions. I mean, he's just in a big play machine at that position while playing way less than 100% for the first chunk of the year because of that ankle injury. He's a star. I mean, what he does for them, it's so funny because on play action plays, even on the play where he had an interception last week, he doesn't robot where you you play up and then you turn and run backward is typically how they teach it. He backpedals. (laughs) And so he's so long that he can kind of backpedal and keep his eyes on what's happening Mm -hmm. and still make plays because his frame is so long. It's kind of wild to watch the fact that he can do that, but he does it consistently. And you watch this team, especially right now, right? Where Julian Blackman's hurt. Yeah. Andrew Sandeo is playing snaps for them. They have a rotating cast of other corners. Isaiah Rogers, who's a young guy, has been good for them in certain moments, Mm -hmm. but it's not a star-laden defense outside of three guys. Darius Leonard, who is a superstar at that position, DeForest Buckner, who is very, very good, and Kenny Moore. And you watch those three guys play, and that's kind of what it feels like. They have those three guys, and then everything else kind of rotates around it. And watching Kenny Moore, I think Kenny Moore is a perfect example of the way that they play. He's playing so well. And there were a couple different plays in that Patriots game where you just see kind of why he epitomizes their attitude and play style. Hill, I think it was a little, it was a whip to uh, Jacoby Myers, I think. And he kind of lost his footing, Moore did initially. And then he gets it and he just plays downhill on it. Yeah. Just made another play on Jonu Smith in a very similar situation where he just eats up that space. And they'll give you some mm-hmm. in the middle of the field. The way that they play, they play a lot of too high coverage. They're at kind of bend, but don't break defense in that way. But they tackle. They rally yes. and they tackle. And he is such a perfect example of that. And the other thing that jumps out to me, they're third in rushing DBOA on defense, right? And to do that without these kind of hulking monsters and a, kind of a smaller, faster defense, yep. I'm thinking, how do they do this? And then you go back and you watch some of it. And there's a couple different examples of it against the Patriots. So if you think about the defensive line, they'll have the three of the four defensive linemen. The defensive tackle to one side, the the nose, and then the backside defensive defensive end shift. They'll slant one way. And then they'll drop the defensive end on that far side back. He'll loop back in. So you have a stunting front, and then they'll bring Moore or Willis off the edge. So they stunt the front with this kind of run blitz look, and you have defensive backs making plays in backfield or close to it. Yep. And when you watch it, it's like feels like their DBs are more involved in the run game. Yes, than you would typically see with most. Kyrie teams, right? Willis, like number thirty-seven, he's showing up. I'm like, okay, who's this guy? <laughs> so here we go. Ready? Kenny Moore has 15 run stops on the season this year, okay. which is more than any other cornerback in the entire NFL. Sure. <laughs> His average depth of tar- of tackle this year, Kenny Moore's is is 2.4 yards. <laughs> which is the lowest for any quarterback corner in the league with at least 10 tackles. Curry Willis is eighth in run stop percentage among all safeties in the entire NFL. So that's how they're doing this without these monster guys. They have Leonard, who's who's just a 
penetrator big play waiting to happen. And by the way they stunt the front and by the way they play some of these DBs in those moments, they're getting two-yard gains when their corners and safeties are making tackles, which is such a huge advantage. It's all 11 guys affecting the game. Even if you're not a star, they're affecting the game. But yeah, I... Kyrie Willis was like a guy that just I kept going like, man, this 37 is like bringing it like they you yep. can tell the Patriots receivers who I know take pride in their blocking. We're going like, what the hell is this? Like they like they weren't <laughs> they weren't ready for them getting their guy crossing their face when they're getting ready to seal these guys like they just you can tell it's a different speed because the, their entire defense is just attacking. It, it's we, we talked about a little bit about the 49ers this way, but it's really their front does it. And then they, you know, totally. It's all 11 guys for this Colts team. And I, I'm so glad you brought up how good a tackling team they are. It's just because even when the plays happen against them, there's not a lot of extra extra yardage that gets created against them. That's why, like, I have no idea if the numbers say this, but, like, as far as I test, like, how they play screens kind of speaks to how fast and aggressive they are because they'll have, like, two or three guys near the ball because they read the game so well, and they're all willing tacklers. Um, and I know that's going to sound like, oh, uh, uh watching the film stuff like you know like a receiver blocking but it, it matters it, defense is a team it's a unit thing like you can have as many stars as possible but really if they find that one weakness of your defense really good offenses are going to punish you and that's what's it's really cool to watch this team do it because it, it's like i said they don't really run any crazy crazy stuff but because they play so fast and everyone knows what to do it looks really good and I think that's so cool that you brought up the, the DB's tackling stats because that's what it looks like. It's like, man, everyone gets involved on this. It's not just DeForest Buckner throwing three guys off of them and making a play. It's really cool stuff. So filtered through the Cardinals and what it might look like yeah. this weekend, I think that, again, just the overall team speed they have with a team that wants to spread you out, they're fine yeah. playing like that. So I think that against this Cardinals team, they're going to be okay. One specific thing that I think is worth looking at, though, is that two two things you mentioned? They do not blitz a lot, and the Cardinals have crushed teams that have blitzed them. So the fact that they're going to have all those bodies in coverage, I think, makes it a difficult day for the Cardinals' passing game. The Cardinals want you to send those extra bodies yes. to Kyler Murray. When you're not doing that, that's when they have a little bit of trouble. The other side of this, the Colts are first in the league this year in run defense EPA per play with seven or eight players in the box by a decent amount. They lead the league. They're 24th mm. with five or six guys in the box. No team has run into more light boxes this season than the Cardinals just by mm. virtue of the way that their offense looks. So the Colts have had a little bit more trouble slowing down the run against those sort of looks this year, and they're going to see a lot of them against the Cardinals. So that's just something to keep an eye on. Yeah, that was my first note on this whole thing was I go, it's going to be so jarring for this Colts defense going from the Patriots to the Cardinals. It's a huge <laughs> change. It's a huge a stylistic change. change. Yeah, so that's the one thing I'd fun. watch. But those three guys, and again, we talked about this with Zach Keeper after the Colts game or after the, the Colts Patriots game. I think the Colts are dangerous in this year's playoffs. Like I think they can upset someone. I think they can win one game mm-hmm. at least, maybe two. But I'm thinking more about all right. What's the long term view here? What's the long term build? And having Buckner, Leonard, and Moore at the center of this thing, they get Julian Blackman back, and say, so, all right, this is the foundation. Now, what other sorts of pieces do we put around them? It's hard not to watch this defense now and think, I'm excited about this, but they're limited, right? Like, that's a lot of Andrews and Dejo snaps. <laughs> Their pass rush is not good. Like, yeah. they are young. They have not gotten yeah. a ton of production out of those young guys like Quiddy yeah. Pay. Um, the other guy they drafted whose name I cannot remember. 
you know, obviously he came back hurt. They didn't expect a ton from him this year yeah. anyway. That is a cupboard that had kind of been laid bare by Chris Bauer, and I think he would even admit that coming into this season. And that could have ultimately hurt them. So there are things that they do well. I feel like they're a middle-of-the-pack pass defense and playing against really good passing offenses potentially in the playoffs. They could have some rough moments. But stylistically, I really like the way that they play, and I think that they could be okay against the Cardinals on Saturday. Yeah, and the Cardinals, man, the Lions really took it to them. But it was, uh, but they like they they did a couple of nice things where it's they're spreading a run a little bit, or obviously spreading a run. But how they did it, like they're inserting Ertz around the line. Um, they they had nice a couple of nice pin pole plays and everything. But the really the best play was screens on Sunday, and that's why I just alluded to the Colts were they they're very smart and they actually play fast. But yeah, I I was Quiddy play has Quiddy pay has like a couple flashes, but man, there's a couple times against the run where it's like, ooh, like, <laughs> like he, he he's he's just not there yet. It, it's the game's a little fast for him right now. They like the Patriots hit him with a jet sweep where the entire Colts defense is going one way to stop it, and Quiddy Pay is running that towards the fake side, like because he just he, no <laughs> serious. It was just he got cut and he gets his hands up and you could tell he's like, oh, I played that cut so well, man. And he gets up and he starts running after the run. And you can probably see Darius Leonard go, no, other way, <laughs> other way. <laughs> And it's like, you know, he's not there yet, but it's it's a tough position. Uh, it's, it, it is. It is. It's I mean, that, that's a position that it, it can take a while for guys, just be, yeah. and especially for him. He's so raw. I so mean, just raw. it's just physical talent. He had no sacks in college. I mean, yeah, some, totally but his sack production was down low. It's a lot to learn. I, I feel like he could be just fine with some oh, yeah. time. But again, that's why with this team, it's, I want to see what they look like next year on defense, Correct. even though they're fun to watch now. And that's yeah. what we look for, right? Do you have an attitude. Do you play mm-hmm. a certain way, even if the personnel and some of the refinement still has a little bit of a ways to go? And I feel like that's where they are defensively. Absolutely. All right, let's get to the Cowboys offense. I want to ask you this. Do you think the Cowboys offense is broken? Do you think that there are things that are just inherent to what they're doing right now that are not going to be able to get fixed before the season ends? They're playing Washington this week. Washington gave them a hard-ass time the last time these two teams played. And it kind of feels like we might be heading toward another uneven kind of stop and start game from this offense. And I'm tired of watching that. <laughs> I am too. And the one, my one thing I would say like before is, well, I always, I, or a couple things really, I'm going to say, I always say one thing and I end up saying like 20, but it's the, <laughs> it's, I think the Cowboys offense, it's every time I rewatch them, I'm like, oh my God, they're so close to just going supernova on somebody. Like every time I'm, I'm always disappointed at first and I rewatch it, I'm like, Okay, it's you're not having as much glitches as maybe I thought, or maybe hiccups as I thought. They've kind of I made a joke about it. They weaned out from throwing so many stop routes, thank God, because uh, defense was starting to sit on it. But I want to say the one thing I, I is if I ever got to talk to Kellen Moore, it'd be it's okay to repeat a play call. It's okay <laughs> that you don't have to get to something totally different every single snap. And that's what it just feels like. So it's like they get too cute. And they'll do it like that's why I feel like in the first quarter and a half, they always do some nice things. And then they kind of feel like a lull in the second half because I think they're always like defenses are on to us. We got to do this. And it's like, no, it's OK. They're not on to you. Like just they ran. <laughs> they're getting 20 personnel against the Giants. They're getting a 20 personnel, three receivers, uh, jumbo with the jumbo uh, jumbo offensive lineman as the fullback. And they ran Bob, which is weak side zone, lead weak side zone back on back. <laughs> that's what Bob stands for. And. First one, they hit for eight yards, and the jumbo fullback was honestly like 
had no one to block because it was such a juicy look for him that he was just running into air like, oh, my God, I got nobody to block. And it, it, the, honestly, if Zeke bounces outside, it was out the gate. Or Is that far. where they they did that out of 21 personnel where they had it was the three receivers and they had it spread out with the jumbo fullback where there was. Only, yeah, yeah. Was okay. it 20 or was it 20 or 21? But yeah, it was. Yeah, oh, 20, 20. With, yeah, there was yeah. no tight end. There was no, no tight, tight end. end. So it was no spread out. Okay, I yep. want to talk about that. So, all right, yep. continue. So they, it's a juicy, juicy look, like because just how the Giants play defense too, like the nickels all the way outside by the stacked receivers. It was like, in a, and also the linebackers were kicked over. It was just perfect. They, um, uh, Biotish and uh, who's, uh, which Connor is it at left guard? It's not Connor McCoy. Williams. Uh, yes, yeah. McGovern was in the backfield. Yes, yeah. he was in the big guy. Yeah, Connor and Connor. But they do a really nice job on Leonard Williams and climb to the second level. It's great. And that was like such a good look that the fullback had no one to block because the receiver made a nice job on the safety. So they get back to it one other time. And that one goes for seven yards. And it should have been a better one. But they have uh, number 17, the fifth string receiver in, who doesn't block anybody. He goes to the wrong guy <laughs> that time. But it was like, come back to it. You, you got seven yards and seven yards with mistakes. Just keep running it. They haven't stopped it. They haven't done anything that stopped what you're doing. And I feel like they just kind of get too cute where they're like, well, we already called it twice and uh, they're going to adjust. But guess what? Bad defenses don't adjust. Like make them adjust. Make them, make them play. You can show the same look. It was nice. They did run a play action out of it. Uh, he hit CD on the over. Uh, it was CD or it might have been uh, uh, Schultz. But they hit an over on it. And that's the other thing is like why I want to talk about this offense is the last couple of weeks I've been really disappointed. I'm like, man, they should be blowing these teams out of, out of the water. They're so close to doing it. Like CeeDee Lamb's not going to have three drops in a game. Yeah, that deep, that big over that he dropped <sighs> on the play action was like, that was a heartbreaker. A heartbreaker. I, I want to talk about himself. <laughs> I want to talk about that look that you're talking about in the run mm-hmm. game because watching that game back against the Giants, the first thing I saw, first thing I thought, and I texted you this, the Jeremy Sprinkle thing is rough. He's bad. It is it is rough. So if you look at it, remember early in the season how excited we were about what they were doing out of twelve personnel, 12. and when they were getting really heavy with two tight ends on the field, they were able to do anything. They yep. could throw it because teams were in it's base, awesome. but they could also push teams around. Okay, so weeks one through eight, they were fourth in the NFL in EPA per rush with two tight ends on the field. Fourth, weeks nine through fifteen. They have been 24th in EPA per rush with two tight ends on the field. That happens to coincide with the time that Blake Jarwin has been hurt. And if you watch, it is a moment where the numbers and the eye test completely align. Because it's just little things. There was a play, I think, on the first drive or the second drive where they're in that 12 personnel hip slot alignment where you have both tight ends on the same side. They're comboing the two tight ends. Schultz and Jeremy Sprinkle up to the linebacker. Sprinkle just leaves. Yep. And and Schultz is on the defensive oh, end. And, and he's just like, he's like, where he are you going, buddy? I was like, where yeah. are you going, buddy? And he <laughs> yes. blows it up in the backfield. There's yes. another play later on in the game. It's a throw, but similar kind of idea. They're trying to spread it out and throw a little now screen to Zeke on the outside. And Sprinkle just totally whiffs. And it's like, I'm not trying to shit on the guy, but they were doing so well when Jarwin and Schultz were playing together and they had that little look to them and missing that, I think has been a thing, right? You go from fourth to 24th out of a certain look, that's tough. So, and if you look at it right now, over the past six weeks, their runs out of two tight end sets have been half as effective in terms of EPA per play as their runs out of three wide receiver sets. So spreading to run 
with Jarwin out and with the way that they look right now, I think is actually a more effective approach yeah. than the one that they were taking early in the season. And this team spread to run. You can do a lot of stuff. If you yeah. want to line up in that 20 look where you got the guy in the backfield and you want to smash people in a light box, go nuts. If you mm-hmm. want to have those three receiver sets where you got a guy like CeeDee Lamb who's a willing blocker, that's another option for them. So I feel like this thing they could go to in the run game so conveniently early in the season just has not produced in the same way for them. And like you said, they haven't fully leaned into the alternatives in the ways that they could. Yeah. And even the tells that they give, like they try to get to a play action look and they went 12 jumbo. So they had a six all offense alignment as the other tight end. That's a tell for the defense. It's like, cause I feel like every time they've gotten it, that's play action. Cause you're not, they don't trust Jeremy Sprinkle to block at the end. So well, the other thing to- they ran out of that was that stupid swing pass. They oh, ran a no. swing pass out of that look. It's like, why would you do that? Yeah, At least I, use I play action when you're going to do that. I know exactly the player. Oh my god, I don't get why. I, I was trying to look at that design, trying to figure out what it was, and because the because it was the hip slot, like what you just said, and they were, they had two vertical routes with it, or two stop routes with it, with a swing going towards the stop route. I think the just, argument is that the, because you're in that sort of big look, and you have the linebackers jammed into the formation, maybe yeah. you're trying to get the ball on the perimeter. But it just seems so weird to me. It's like, why wouldn't you? Why would you throw a drop back pass out of that look, period? Too cute. Like, that's what I mean. They just like, it's it's everything that we liked about it at the beginning where they're like, hey, man, they could be multiple. But it was out of the same personnel, out of the same formations over and over and over. And now it feels like, I feel like the call sheet must be 500 plays. That's what it feels like sometimes. It's like, yeah. man, just tighten it down. You got good players. And I know the offensive line's kind of ebbed and flowed, but it's like, they're still fine. And Dak's still a machine. Like, and that's that. Uh, of course, I'm always a supporter of him, but it's really it's not as bad as every time I watch it. I'm like, oh my god, they could be so much better because it's just catch the ball, <laughs> block. Like, because they are so close to popping. Like, they are so close. They just got to hone in on what they do well and just keep pounding it. What, what do we say? Just we, we spam it, spam it. They they got to learn that it's okay to spam the A button and just keep doing it. Just keep keep doing it because it's gonna be fine. But I just feel like sometimes they just get too cute with their stuff and they just they and uh, stuff that looks good on paper doesn't really look good once they run it on Sundays or Saturdays or Mondays, whatever day they're going to play. The other thing, the other (laughs) big difference between what they've looked like over the last six weeks and what they looked like over the first nine weeks where they were one of the most efficient offenses in the league. Right. We've talked about this at the beginning. We didn't understand why teams continue to blitz them at the rate that they did. So weeks one through nine. Dak was blitzed on 32.6% of his dropbacks. Only Mac Jones among full-time starters had been blitzed more often. Over that stretch, Dak was fifth in EPA per dropback. He was one of the five most efficient quarterbacks in the league. Weeks 10 through 15, teams are now blitzing him 22.7% of the time. 10 percentage point drop. He went from the second most blitzed quarterback in the league to the 24th over the last six weeks. The only guys he's ahead of on the, in that is like the Brady Stafford Mahomes never blitz them under any circumstances yes. crowd. So it's completely flipped. It's gone from we're treating you like a rookie quarterback to we're treating you like an elite quarterback. And, and we going, I think that's about we're like, why are teams doing this? It made no sense. It made no sense. And just, I'm almost kind of mad. I, I wish we hadn't talked about it because now they're struggling. <laughs> I know. And, and I know. If, it's if you look at it, I think that they really had an issue finding an answer to that because yeah. I, I'm curious what you think about this. When you look at other teams that faced a really heavy diet of soft zone, that's where we see some of these flood 
four strong, give myself options looks. And when you see the Cowboys, they don't do that kind of stuff. Nope. Everything is more str- spread out. It's a little bit more static. And you just don't have options against some of these really soft zones. So you have single guys. I mean, you're maybe you're high-lowing one person. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you're not overloading those zones in a way that's giving your quarterback answers against it. And I, I don't know if they can make that change this deep into the season. But those looks they have where it's, you know, we're – 11 personnel spread out. We're not really going to do a lot of stuff where we're iso- where we're kind of flooding areas of the field. I think that's hurting them against these sorts of looks on defense. Yeah, it feels like they they would have one play where they would, like because I remember against the Patriots they did the they did some four by one stuff and it was kind of cool and it was like but then they never added to it. It wasn't like you know they have like you know look at the Cardinals tape and they run it like or the Washington does it. Oh my god, like almost too much where they they do all the four strong empty stuff and but. Yeah, you have good players, but you got to make it a little easier on them. You know, yeah. you got to just just sugarcoat some stuff. And we liked it at the beginning, but it was like all of a sudden they just stopped adding to it. It's like they like went into a shell as an offense. They're like, well, we got to do this. And it's like, oh, man, I don't know. You're just not seeing the creativity that we were getting kind of excited about. You don't see the jet motions on their runs that much either. Like where it's That's just- kind of what I mean is it looks much more static now than it did at the beginning of the season. It looks yeah. more like it did at the beginning of last year yes. where we were frustrated by it. Yep. And I'm wondering why that's the case. Yeah. One more thing before we move on. Talking about uh, <laughs> uh, blitz stats. Mm-hmm. Stafford is second in the NFL in EPA per play against five, five or more man pressures. He's 24th when teams bring four. It's the biggest gap in the entire league. I, when I was looking at those numbers, like, holy shit. Like, teams should just not blitz the Rams. Like, just drop never, eight. ever <laughs> blitz the Rams. I mean, just, just sit eight. back there because they, he is crushing people Funny. when they do. And it's, again, that gap has definitely shrunk with Dak, but just seeing how widely that has swung wildly yeah. from being the most blitz quarterback in the league, non-rookie quarterback in the league, to now being in the bottom third and yep. being around those elite, elite guys. I think that shift has been hard for the Cowboys to deal with, and I think it started with that Broncos game. If there was going to be an element of this yes. where you could take it as a blueprint, that was it. We are not going to give you easy answers. We are going to make you earn this against a host of bodies on the back end, and it feels like the Cowboys have struggled to adjust to that. I know. I, I it's they're gonna. I, I, I trust them. It's, it's weird. It's like I am down on them, but at the same time, I'm like, man, if they put together a complete game with that defense, how they're playing right now, it's like it's a scary team. I think that's why we're hard on them because it's like. You guys could be so much better. Like you guys could be just this amazing team. And it's like, oh, they just they can't help but punch themselves in the nuts. Like that's just what it feels like. <laughs> All right. Last thing before we get out of here, we're gonna do a quick just Bengals Ravens look. A huge game, obviously, yeah. in the AFC North. I mean, this the winner is gonna be in first place in the AFC North. The thing, we're not I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but just the one aspect of this I find really, really interesting is that Joe Burrow is getting blitzed at the lowest rate of any quarterback in football right now. The fact that teams are treating him with this sort of respect, in the because those are the types of guys you see, right? So the Ravens, the team he's about to play against, blitzed Aaron Rodgers on 4% of his dropbacks last That's week. That's hilarious. And this is one of the most blitz-happy teams in the entire league, even with the guys they have out. So the five games before playing Rodgers, the Ravens were 34.8% blitz, which was the fifth highest rate in the entire league, even with all the bodies that they have out of the lineup. Against Rodgers, nothing. And that's kind of the treatment that other teams are starting to give Joe Burrow. 
If you look at that list again, like we mentioned, Dak is in there now. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. These guys do not get blitzed that often. Derek Carr doesn't get blitzed very often. These guys who really see the see game it. very yes. well and can make you, they can hurt you. Burrow is now getting that sort of treatment, which I think speaks to how well he's played this year and how much he's burned teams when they have some extra bodies at him. So what do the Ravens do? To me, that's the question I want to watch this week is what do the Ravens do? Do they continue to play to type or do they look at the other the ways that other teams have been playing the Bengals and say, we're not going to give you those easy ones because we know that you can find them. And that's exactly where Joe Burrow is right now. Yeah, it's when you watch them, it's you can tell it's terrifying to go to guard their receivers too. like I, I we can talk about, you know, whether they should go on chase or not. But it's like when you're going to bring pressure. And you have a quarterback that can find the right throw against three receivers, Boyd, Higgins, and Chase. One of them's going to win, and he's going to find it. And that is that's why I think these defenses are just going like, screw that. <laughs> like, let's just rush for and hopefully one of our guys gets home. And on top of it, Burrow, I think it's just, I mean, just what he looks like and everything is just how he plays. He's able to create so much. And that's why I, a lot of people are high on him coming out of LSU as well, is that he is, he's a big dude. He's 230, you know, 6'3 and change. And also he can run. Like he's a yeah. he's a good, good athlete. So when you're bringing these pressures on him, okay, if he doesn't find the first throw, he can create. It's not like he's a statue. Like Tom Brady of the world, like he, Tom Brady's of the world, he's just going to sit back there and knife you up from the pocket. Burroughs can more than willing to create some stuff and, and scramble and slide in a really weird way. He's the weirdest slider I've seen in a while. I don't know why, but he just like, he does this like little tight slide when he's out in space. It's kind of funny, um, but that's it. It just speaks to how well he plays and how well he sees the game. I think sometimes when we talk about getting too cute, is the Bengals do some actually some fun designs and everything, but I could tell that it's just a game plan play where it's like, hey, we're gonna run this this week, and sometimes when you get to that, it's you don't have the rules in place on those concepts. Like where it's, if number one isn't open, I'm not saying like Burrow's dumb or anything. I'm just saying when number one's not open, then, or they run a defense, a different defensive look than you're expecting. Then it's like, Oh shoot. All right. Where do I go now? All right. And then he scrambles and they create a play, but it's, I could see that sometimes happening to him. Like their offense can feel very disjointed at times. Cause I think they try to spin the Rolodex a little bit and just kind of go, Oh, we'll call this this time. Uh, call this this time. We're going under center. We're running, running zone. Okay. Now we're going empty and we're going to do stacks. And next play, we're going four by one. And, you know, sometimes they can get a little disjointed, but when they run their stuff and they, you can tell Burroughs confident what they're running. It's like, yeah, good luck. Like, yeah, the Broncos are one thing, but it's like, you know, not every team's going to play like the Broncos play defense where they, <laughs> they do that. So I'm, I'm curious too, if the Ravens blitz them, because it's, especially with what 15 corners out that they have, it's like, good luck guarding those guys. Cause Burroughs going to find them and punish you. He's at 22% blitz rate on the year, which is one of the lowest rates in the entire league. And you know what the other fun stat to go along with that is? He is the second highest air yards per attempt in the league when blitz this year. 9.73. Yes. Only Derek Carr has pushed the ball down the field more when blitz, which also is kind of a weird transition. Weird yeah. yeah, it's like we've, we're, we are on a whole different reality now. But you feel that when you watch Burrow yep. against the blitz this year is that he he's going to make you pay. Yep. And watching that and how that plays into the Ravens, again, I don't want to spend a ton of time on that game. I want to get to Shield. It's Christmas Eve. You guys are not going to listen to a four-hour podcast. But I just think that aspect to the game is definitely something we're trying to key in on a little yes. bit. That's why All he's right. fun. That's why he's fun. He punishes you. He punishes defense. And quarterbacks that do that are fun. He's a really good player, man. He is he's a fun. really, really good so player. All right. 
It's time to get to Shiel. It's time to get to this week's picks. Shiel, what a huge week for you last week. Just roaring back <laughs> after a couple slip-ups. Not only are you getting hot, but you're getting hot at the right time. It's a, yeah, that's right. I'm. Uh, I, for, I think the local Sixers announcer used to always say first half for show, second half for dough. That always <laughs> stuck with me. I guess it's not quite the same. I mean, we're way past the second half, so I screwed up a lot in the second half. But uh, it was a it, Nate was right on me. I tried to put the jinx on him uh, last week and talk about how great he was, and he still did uh, pretty well. But man, the lock. The lock will either uh, be your best friend or your biggest enemy, and I, I lucked out on that last week. So you came into last week up by one point, but you go three for three, hit your lukewarm lock of the week, which was the Bengals plus two and a half. You had to sweat that out a little bit. That's an ugly game oh, to have man. bet on having one of those teams on one of those sides. Yes. Nate goes two and one, but he misses his lock on the Packers. We were talking before we started recording. What's your guys' record over the past three weeks combined? Was it what did I say? 15, 15 and three? three? Yeah. 15 and three over We're the on last fire. three weeks. This, this week's that, not going to go well after we said that. I know. That lock. Yeah, we, now we're double jinxing it. Maybe double jinx. It, it's like the Monstars <laughs> touching the basketball. That's what it feels like right now. We're just getting our powers sucked out right now. <laughs> that lock is haunting Nate, though, because if he gets oh. that, we're sitting there still a one-point game. Instead, he's down by five. Nate, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. When you miss your lock... During holiday season, you got to do something nice involving yes. a charity or a cause associated yes. with the team that you bet on or the team that you bet against. What did you do after you losing your lock this week? Yeah, well, after I got uh, Tyler Huntley and almost got Jake Fromm as well. Uh, they, uh, <laughs> if you got Jake Fromm, you uh, you would have been done. You, there's oh no God. way you would have oh, yeah, done no, the show again. Yeah. Yeah, Marissa was taking over for me. I was bringing in the ready if, if that happened. But uh, but yeah, after after those instances, it was great because I got to donate to the Greater Green Bay uh, Boys and uh, Girls Club, uh, which I am very attached to just the Boys and Girls Club uh, na or nationally. My uh, my dad does a lot of good causes for them with his charity as well. Um, just think they're a great organization and what they do for kids that, you know, give them activities to do after school, which I think is so, so important and get them in just around good people. So happy to do that. I was able to, of course, I had to be a 31 point score from from the Packers. <laughs> I rounded it up to an even hundred dollars. So I'm, I'm happy to do it, though. It's for a good cause. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you get Tyler Huntley. That's just how it goes. So, Sheila, you Nate was kicking us off for a couple straight weeks because he kept winning somehow. Now, after <sighs> your win last week, you get the privilege of going first. What do you got for me? What's your first pick for week 16? A couple straight weeks. I, I feel like it was Halloween the last time I led this thing off. It has, uh, it's Nate's been ties, on fire. It's, uh, it, it's been a while. All right. I'm, I'm going to, you know, Nate would start it out with the lock. So I'm just going to go ahead and start it out with the lock. Love and it. I'm going against what I did the past few weeks where I'm picking from six different games per the moment. I've actually got three written down. So there's a chance we duplicate uh, this week, Nate, because I've, I've got no, uh, no backups here. But for my lock, I am going to go with the Los Angeles Rams minus three at Nate's Minnesota Vikings. You know, I'm just saying, let's go all, let's go into battle. Although Nate likes both these teams. So I don't know who, who he would want in this one, but uh, I'm just looking at this game. Dalvin cook is out. It's unclear yep. whether the Vikings will get Adam Thielen back as, uh, as we're recording this year, Kirk cousins, the last two weeks, Chad Graff had the numbers on the athletic completing 47% of his passes, uh, averaging 5.5, .5 yards per attempt, three interceptions, 
four sacks. I mean, their offense, as you know, Robert, you saw uh, in person there, was not exactly impressive on uh, on Monday night. So uh, I'm fading the Vikings a little bit here. I saw Justin Jefferson today was talking about how like he can't wait for this matchup against Jalen Ramsey. I can't wait to watch that. But this game, you know, if it goes poorly for the Vikings, can't you just picture Cousins? It's not giving Jefferson chances. He feels like he has opportunities. He's going nuts on the sideline after the game. He's talking about how Joe Burrow's better. That you know, he wishes Joe Burrow was. His, I mean, it could go a number of different ways. This Vikings team has overtaken like every other Seahawks team from previous years. It's just the weirdest team in the NFL. Something nuts happens uh, every week. So I fully expect to be sweating this out. If they just forced Matthew Stafford into four interceptions, that would not shock me either because you never know what you're getting with them. But I'm going to go with the Rams uh, minus three here. As someone heavily invested in Matthew Stafford in a fantasy semifinal matchup this weekend, I've been thinking about this game a lot. The Rams offense side of this, the last time that Sean McVay played against Mike Zimmer, he put him in a wood chipper. It was that 2018 game when they played against, it was at the Coliseum, that ridiculous Jared Goff game where they absolutely torched the Vikings defense. A lot has changed since then, but that was, that's the lasting memory I have of these two teams playing against each other. Yeah. When the Vikings have the ball, I mean, they couldn't do anything last week with only having Jefferson out there. I thought the Bears game plan essentially saying, we are going to bracket him on every single play. There are going to be two guys on him on every single play. The other guys are going to beat us. Did not go well. KJ Osborne, and even though Amir Smith-Marset had that touchdown, it was a really <laughs> good strategy to say the other guys on this team, the other receiving options are going to have to beat us. That was not on the table against a Bears team that had zero professional cornerbacks on it. Going against an actual Rams defense, I'll be curious to see what it looks like. And I actually almost picked the same game, but I didn't. So I'm actually, this is, uh, this is, I think that's telling. I think we're on a good track now. Were you going to pick the same side or did you like the same side? Oh, same same side. side. I had a fourth game and I wish I could send you my notes right now to give you a screenshot of it, but it says Rams minus three at Vikings question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. Like, (laughs) so know to throw that one off. So that's great. As much as I want to see ISM, Mr. Smith, Marset go for, you know, go off for about eight catches and, 120 yards. We'll see. We'll see if that's possible for this Vikings team that threw for what, like 78 yards on Monday It was night? disgusting. Yeah. I will say it was. it was pretty great to be in person for the Amir Smith Marset touchdown. I feel like I was, I had some hand in that. Indirectly, I feel like the athletic football show energy yes. informed the Amir Smith Marset touchdown. We're going to take Stars some credit for that. Yeah, there's Stars no doubt. Yes, All right, absolutely. Nate, what do you got for me? What's your first one for right, the since I'm not doing that one, I do have these other three games, and I'm going to start with a lukewarm lock. You know, just got to keep that, keep the good vibes going, I guess. I'm going to go with a team that I do think is going to go nuclear. Robert and I talked about this earlier, but I'm going to go with the Cowboys minus 10 and a half hosting Washington. I just really, the matchup is, I don't think this Washington offensive line is going to be able to hold up <laughs> against this Cowboys defensive line. And really, it's uh, everything I said last week when I picked the Cowboys, I could really carry over. So check that out if you, if you guys are... <laughs> Very curious about seeing that on YouTube or, or wherever you find your podcast. Um, but really, I, I just think that's the matchup that it's like it's with this Washington team. Like they had a chance. OK, maybe we'll make a playoff run, but it just feels. Oh, I think now they're hitting that mode of let's get to get to the end of the season. I mean, they're going through COVID stuff right now. Um, uh, I think uh, they're on their four string center, maybe fifth string center, who's also a plus size model. Uh, which is like one of the most hilarious tidbits I've read this entire season, which I it's funny <laughs> until the Cowboys come to town, then it becomes yes. less funny. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's a model. Yeah. It's not going to be pretty. I don't think, but I also do think this Cowboys offense is, uh, they just, it's hilarious that like every time I watch them, 
on Sundays. I'm just like, what is this team? I'm getting pissed. I'm tweeting about Jake Fromm. I'm ready to throw myself off a bridge. And then like all of a sudden, I just watch this team back on tape and watch them on uh, on the film. And I'm like, oh, this team's about to blow up. Like this team is about to like drop 40 on somebody. And it's just hopefully it's now when I bet on them at 10 and a half. So that's why I'm betting on. Um, I think they're at home as well. I think, you know, that that's going to help as well. And I just really think this Cowboys team's a really good team that's hasn't put a complete game together in a few weeks, actually quite a while. And they're getting healthier. They're figuring out they're gelling together. Just think it's now. I'm, I'm bet on that this week that they're going to really not only just cover the 10 and a half, but really blow the door open on this Washington team. Shield, what's your second one, bud? All right, second pick. I am going to Green Bay and taking the Packers minus seven and a half against the Cleveland Browns. I, I just look at the Packers, you know, EPA per drive, you know, whatever you want to look at it. They're either the first or the second best offense in the NFL. That's including the Jordan Love game. I mean, if you take that off, then it, it's, you know, the gap even um, extend, expands a little bit between them and whoever's in second place. So you guys talked about it, uh, you know, during the uh, Sunday late night pod. And I totally, I, I just think Aaron Rodgers has been the best player in the NFL over the last month. I mean, he has looked like unstoppable. They have answers for everything. You're not going to confuse them. They have Devontae Adams uh, every week week they're able to make it work even when they got backup offensive linemen in there and then you look at the Browns I mean Miles Garrett's questionable for this game with a groin injury and so even if he plays probably not going to be 100% and they've got those two AFC North matchups to close out the season which are really you know every game's important at this stage but those are really probably going to be the ones that determine whether they're able to sneak into the playoffs steal the AFC North or not so I look at that Browns defense versus the Packers offense it would make me very nervous if I were Cleveland. So uh, maybe the Browns move the ball a little bit uh, against the Packers defense. I, I could see that happening, but uh, the Packers have just been so good at home with this Lafleur rodgers combination. 16-6 and six against the spread at home w- with those two guys. So uh, it's not going to last forever. Maybe this is the week it goes in the opposite direction. That's how you have to think as a paranoid uh, sports better. But uh, at the same time, I'll just keep rolling with it uh, until it hurts me. <laughs> you know, with the Browns, it's it's one of those things where you think, all right, they can tap into their running game if they need something, right? If there is an aspect of their offense, like even if the passing game has been uneven, they can just lean on the running game. It's really difficult to do when you're shuffling offensive linemen in and out you're, for the last five or six weeks. Guys are injured. Guys have COVID. To be clear, big fan of the Browns' backup offensive linemen. Huge <laughs> supporter of their work Absolutely. here, as our, as our producer Marissa <laughs> is also. But at the same time, when you have all those moving pieces, it's really difficult to be that run game machine like we've seen in years past. Jedrick Wills is still on the COVID list, I believe. J.C. Treader just went on it today. There's just been so many rotating pieces with their offense that if they've struggled to find a groove, even with what we consider the best running game in the NFL. And I think that just having nothing to really consistently tap into has been a huge problem for them. They're going to need to score against this Packers team. They're not going to win a 17-14 game no. against Green Bay like they've been able to over the last month here against some other teams. So I, I totally understand where you're going with that, Shield. Nate, what do you got for me, buddy? What's your second one? Yeah, that talking all that, hearing all that praise with the Packers is making me go, I'm like, why the hell did I not look at that game as well? <laughs> uh, but really, because if anytime you get to get a chance to bet on Ian Book, you do it. <laughs> I'm going with the Saints. No. Plus one and a half. Hosting the Dolphins. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. I, I, oh, my God. 
Yeah. Anytime you get to do it, I can't What is happening here, Rob? I mean, you, I cr- you thought I had like a Steelers addiction. I mean, you, you might need to stop the recording. Do you need to talk to your friend? <laughs> Ian, oh my God, I can't wait to hear I'm, this. this I know. I like their defense. You, I just I'm sure this is what happened, right? <laughs> you were looking at this game. Yeah. Probably yesterday, the day before, you're looking at your picks, thinking, oh, that looks nice. Uh, that looks good. It's Saints against the Dolphins. That's pretty juicy. I like the Saints defense <laughs> yeah. against the Dolphins. And then the book news comes out, and then you have to decide, do I still like this? Mm. And this is where you came down. You're like, yeah, Ian Book is enough for me to still like this game. Is that accurate? Am I, am yeah, I painting pretty the picture much correctly? I, earlier this week, this line was minus three, and I really like the Saints minus three at home. And now uh, that's how much Ian Book <laughs> – Going from Taysom Hill to your book is four and a half points. Four apparently. and a half, yeah. Oh, boy. But I, I'm going to do it. And really what I'm betting on and just kind of similar. Uh, eh, not really. That's a completely different sentiment. But really betting on the Saints defense here. Uh, really taking it to Tua. They don't have the blitz. That's already an, up when, uh, uh, an advantage when you're playing against a team that relies so much on RPOs. And they can just sit in their shells and like play top down. I guess just muscle, in this just offense. like just knock them around. I think that's yeah. the biggest thing. I mean, just the out physical team in man coverage against RPOs. That, that's a decided advantage. It feels like that's and that's really what I'm betting on. And I'm betting and kind of carrying over what I've said about what Sean Payton's doing with Taysom Hill is like I think he's just going to jerry rig this offense and just with wires and toothpicks and and everything just to make it look competent. And I think really too, sometimes you get these guys. We talked about numerous times is Sean Payton, you know, these good player callers get bored. I think they like challenges like this. I think he's just going, yeah, I selected this guy in the sixth round. I, mean, I, I took round. him. What was it? I think it was the fourth round, wasn't it? Oh, my God. It was it? Oh, God. I don't wait. Maybe it was just my grade on him. I think I had an undrafted grade, undraftable grade fourth on him. Fourth round. Just uh, pulling that oh shit out God. of nowhere. Look at me oh go. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. So, fourth round. Oh, man. Sean Payton, no quarterbacks or what? Uh, but really, I, I'm betting that this guy can create some plays, do enough in the passing game, and, you know, just get a run game going with them with Melvin Ingram and, and Kamara. That's really what I'm betting on. I just think this Dolphins team is I, – I do like what the defense does. They live in cover zero, but that doesn't really punish what the Saints offense does. So I think that's just what I'm leaning. It's like their strength isn't what the Dolphins really defend well against. I think this could be a sloppy game. I think it's just going to be a like. I think it's going to be real ugly. So I'm going to take the points and I'm going to take the home team. Saints plus one and a half, and they still have stuff to play for. Uh, hopefully they didn't shoot their wad last week against the Bucs. Um, but hopefully I, I can maybe just see them really beating them up up front and just making it ugly on them. This is a good the fighting game books. This is a good idea until this game is about to kick off and you're going to be sitting there being like, why did I do this to myself? Halfway through the second quarter, you are going to be just sitting there stewing in your own hatred of yourself. That's exactly what's going to happen. You see how confident I look right now? I just, I couldn't believe the words just came out of my mouth. I can't believe that you're choosing to do this to yourself. Also, Sheil, you picking that game on Christmas, I pray for your family. It's, I mean, the yeah, fact that, that you get to have involved. a day with your with loved ones and now it's going to be ruined as Aaron Rodgers throws like I, his fourth interception. I, it's a tough break. I, for I you. threw out the Rams minus three <laughs> for this game. So, yeah, this is where I'm at. Let's let's do it. Let's screw it. Let's go for it. But yeah. OK. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go fight an Irish. Well, Ian I, Book. Let's go. Buddy. You know, you as you mentioned it, I'm this. like. I was like, oh, you know, should it should the line really change four and a half points going from Taysom Hill to Ian Book? So maybe you're on to something. I mean, that feels that feels like a lot. Like, I don't know, is it gonna be that much? They scored nine points uh last week. They haven't exactly <laughs> been lighting it up uh with Taysom Hill in there. So uh maybe it's not crazy. Yeah, this is like the ultimate 
Tua, do not lose the game for us. I don't. If you have to just take a knee seven yards behind the line of scrimmage to not do something stupid, go ahead and do that. Because you're right, that, that Saints defense is fun. I mean, they are yeah. punishing. And so you could just see them push the Dolphins around. And uh, to, to your, you know, I, I feel like I've sort of talked myself into it. I, I don't know. But, you know, the, the Saints had all those games where uh, they didn't have Drew Brees and they were covering week after week after yep. week. I mean, it was incredible. And so the markets, the, the betting markets thought that it was more of a hit to not have Drew Brees. And they somehow found a way to win those games. So defense, special teams, maybe, you know, maybe they lose a 10-9 game and you still cover. Uh, yeah. I like it. This gives me a, a reason to really uh, tune in and focus on Monday night. <laughs> it's that, funny it's because funny. Uh, the Dolphins the have that kind of ball control offense, where right where it's a lot of RPOs, a lot of short yeah. passes. Two will give you a couple though. It's not as yes. if he takes yeah. care of the ball. He'll give you yeah. a couple. Just ask the Jets last week. I mean, there yeah. it feels like there are a couple moments every single game. You're like, what? What are you doing? Yeah, and man, in this you... sort of game where it could be a 15 to 14 type game, that feels important. Yeah, when Marshawn Lattimore is the guy covering instead of insert Jets corner name here, uh, was breaking on those out routes that loop up and over out there. Pick it's like, six, okay, that might, yeah. a little different speed that's going to happen there. I, I was just thinking about the taking the knee stuff is like at the end of the water boy when like the, the bad guy team like can't move the ball. They just have to, they just start taking a knee. He's like, takes a knee. No, this is genius. <laughs> taking the water boy out of the game. Like, so maybe we see a little bit of that. <laughs> All right. Uh, Nate or Shio, you can't possibly get any weirder than that with whatever you're going here next. Well, so, you know, what's your I third probably one? shouldn't have gone so gone in so hard at Nate because I mentioned my own Steelers addiction, and you know who's a who's a big underdog this week? It's Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh yes. Steelers, baby, and that's who I'm taking for my final pick. They are eight and a uh. half point underdogs against the Kansas City Chiefs after last week. I, I think the Steelers actually actually flipped by kickoff uh, where they were favored by a point last week. But uh, yeah. o- overall, Tomlin's team's 65% of the time covering against the spread as underdogs. I was surprised this line didn't uh, move a little bit more with, with Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, as of this recording, are on the uh, COVID list. They don't know if they're going to have them for this game. Maybe it won't matter. I'm not counting on the Steelers' offense to do anything. They very well could lose the game for me. I could just picture you know Ben Roethlisberger just in the grasp of Chris Jones flinging the ball somewhere and a, a pick six that cost me a cover in the fourth quarter or something. But uh, I'm going to go with Pittsburgh's. You know, I, I thought that Chiefs game was, first of all, awesome to watch last week against the Chargers but like the way they came back I mean think about it it was Mahomes second reaction plays and Tyreek Hill and Kelsey just being like we're better than your guys we're just gonna make plays it was just like superstars like it didn't matter what play was called just doing what they needed to do so even if they're out just one of those guys I feel like I still have some questions um, about that offense especially you know Steelers defense is not great but they have some playmakers they've gotten healthier Uh, they have some guys who can do some things up front so uh, plus eight and a half I mean come on if anyone's been listening to this segment all year you knew there was no way I was gonna be able to resist uh, taking that line here. So I'm sure I won't, I won't be regretting this Sunday afternoon. I think I know what Robert just looked up. So I, I want to hear. Oh, no. I, so when I, I was uh, every, every week, obviously, when we do the show, I look up a ton of numbers and a ton of stats and you come across stuff almost by accident. And I was looking yeah. up some play action numbers today and it was actually yes. connected to the Cowboys. It's like, oh, how much play action do the Cowboys use? The answer is not enough. But I was looking at associated play action numbers for other people. 
The first thing that jumped out to me was that Justin Fields has an average depth of target of 13.3 yards on play action. Not necessarily a good thing, right? He's taking a Big lot game of sacks, hunter, baby. but he is going for it. No one else is above 11 outside of Davis Mills. So Justin Fields at 13.3, supreme outlier. The other one, though, that was just incredible. One of my Nate and I have talked about this in relation to Trevor Lawrence this year, which is pressure to sack percentage, which is PFF does, and I think it's really interesting. Right. On play action passes this year, Ben Roethlisberger has been sacked on 62% of his pressures. He's been pressured 16 times. He's been sacked 10 times. Just for some context, no one else in the league is higher than 34%. So it's 62% and 34%. That is how sackable he is on those plays. That's not how often he's pressured. This is not an offensive line stat. This is how often the pressures turn into sacks. And you know what's great? When the eye test and the numbers align. When you watch him play, it's like he is just he's sitting duck out there. He is a whale that is just it is impossible for him to escape. (laughs) And it is amazing to look that up and see it. I was so, so happy when I saw that percentage. I was just gonna say I can. It's like so clear in my head. Him taking those little itty bitty choppy <laughs> yep. steps back, thinking, anywhere. turning around, and being like, "Prayers up, here we go!" And then either the fastest I've sack seen him launching move, it. The fastest I've seen him move this entire year is when he ran to ran to the whatever it was, the stairwell, and just started sitting there. That's the quickest I've seen him move this entire season. So. <laughs> Oh, it's man. truly incredible. I, I oh. just, I, it made my day seeing that. All right, uh, Nate, okay. what's your third one, buddy? What do you got for me? I'm going – we actually kind of referred to the two opponents of this game, but I'm going to go with the Chargers minus 10 at the Texans. I A little bigger line than maybe I wanted, but I really do think this Chargers team since post-bye post week, I have to get it out of my head sometimes how I feel about their defense is because they've really improved. They've done a lot of good things. They're doing a lot – just a lot more consistency to their defense and holding on drives. And then I really have I initially thought like every time I rewatch them, it's kind of like the same with the Cowboys where it's like, Hey, they're a little better than I've kind of given them credit for. Um, wow. Brandon Staley's a good coach. And on, uh, on the other side is the offense is, I mean, we're, I mean, we've talked enough about the fourth down stuff. They're so close. If those fourth down hits, they're blowing teams out of the water. Yeah. Like then that's 10 what feels low realize. to me. I mean, they, they yeah. feel like they could win this game by like three touchdowns with the way that their too. offense is playing right now. We're forgetting the Texans have played the Jets and the Jaguars. Uh, exactly. That's what it's like. And, exactly. And Davis Mills has looked better than even I've given credit for. But again, you got to remember he's playing the Jets and the Jaguars recently. So maybe I think that's in our head a little bit. And they've had guys banged up. I think Brandon Cooks might be on the COVID list as well. It's yeah. just I don't think that I, we got to remember this Texas team isn't very good this year. And maybe if we just – they're out of the spotlight. So it's kind of like, okay, maybe we haven't really had noticed that. And I also just think this Chargers team is just, they're a lot better than even I've given credit for. I, they've honed, this offense is really good. They, it's, it, they've honed in on what they are. It's, it's a good team. It really is. Like, and so I just think this 10 points, there's no, it can be nobody in Houston. Uh, I mean, it's going to be a 10,000 people at that stadium. I think it's just, so the home field advantage isn't there. It's more of a travel advantage. If they're healthy. They've really got to keep an eye on all, all these teams with the COVID stuff. But I think this Chargers team is close to blowing out these bad teams because they are a legit good team. So Chargers minus 10. Feels like we're going to have this conversation over the next month or so. And I think we'll probably devote most of a show to it. At the Ringer, I was to do a wild card threat index. Where I think, all right, how realistic of a chance do these wild card teams have to win a playoff game, win multiple playoff games, or even win the Super Bowl? This season, 
it feels like we could have four or five wildcard teams where you absolutely could talk yourself into them yep. winning the whole thing. And the Chargers are the one of those teams to me. The defense yep. is still a concern. I want to go back and watch a little bit more. Yep. But it really does feel like their offense has that ceiling right now where they could go on a run. And it, we, yep. they have not hit in one of these games in a little while. Like the Bengals game, there was some really, really great moments. They're yep. so close against the Chiefs. This just feels like that week where they could score 40. And yeah. be like, all right, here. Remember, we're here. Like, we're really, really good on this side of the ball. Yeah, yeah. But and, when I was looking at the, uh, I think the current playoff standings, they would go to Tennessee in the first round. And I was thinking the same thing you were. Like, shoot, I, I get to host a first round playoff game, and Justin Herbert is, you know, this is the guy I have to prepare for. Like, I, I don't know. You could probably do a list of who, which quarterbacks would you least like uh, to face in the first round. And I mean, he he would probably be top two, uh, top three there. So yeah, they are. Uh, you know, I, I think like you, I, I have sort of been, uh, you know encouraged by this team or optimistic about this team all season and Herbert sometimes you take stuff for granted or you know you point out one play and then you look at like the overall numbers and it's like shoot they've had a top three offense for most of the year and so even though they're flawed and those flaws are going to show at times and they're going to make you think all right they're not that great they I I totally agree that they have that kind of dangerous scary uh ceiling in in a one game playoff for sure I have zero interest in seeing him if I'm another team, I just have zero interest in a game oh. where he's on the field. Like yeah, the, the volatility and the ceiling associated with their offense because of what he can do is horrifying. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at that. We're looking at a game where they are on the road as an underdog, or even not as an underdog, but according to the seedings, in round one, where I feel like they yeah. probably are going to have a pretty good chance. Oh, yeah. it's And we need a – I mean, of course, we love him on this show. And, of course, now we – Every week there's a throw that he makes and everything, but it's like he does a lot of stuff that's just incredible. He's just like, good. He's not just excited. He's just good. good. Yes. And uh, yeah, we take it for granted. I mean, I think she'll put it for us. We take it for granted sometimes because then you rewatch. He's one of those guys you rewatch and it's just like, holy crap. Like yeah. it's just, he can make an eight yard out throw and it's just like, not many guys are doing that better. And that's the thing is there's no fat with his game. He's not missing chances that often. And so if you get these drives that, they're moving the ball on teams. And it's just like, that's what's hilarious is all the, 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 the narrative has been about the, the results of those drives, but it's like, they're not like stalling and going three and out. It's because they're a good offense. And it's just, I think, yeah, I just, it's just, I don't think I've, I've even gotten the flavor of what they are yet because I do think they're better than even I've given credit for. So maybe this is me overcompensating for that, but I really do think they're a good, legitimately good team. Earlier this year, Brandon Staley said to me when I was, we were talking about Herbert just as a thrower, he said he is a rare, rare thrower of the football. Yeah. And just and when you hear a guy who's like a defensive coach and a really good defensive coach talk about it in those terms, every time I watch him now, that just plays in the back of my mind. Just yeah. rare, rare thrower of the football. And sometimes when they're when the feels like the league is up for grabs, maybe it's overly simplifying it to say that guy who's the rare, rare throw of the football yeah. is enough. It feels yeah. like this year he is enough to give them a chance against virtually anybody. We're getting ahead of ourselves, though. <laughs> that is all we got for the Week 16 pick segment, guys. Thank you very much for tuning in. For those who watch on YouTube, really appreciate it. For those listening at home, really appreciate you listening to the show. We will be back on Sunday night with me and Nate. Please come back and check that out live if you want to. We do that on YouTube every single week and also on Twitter. Please listen to the Football GM, Mike Sando and Randy Mueller on Saturday. If you guys have not, I highly encourage you to check that out. We'll be back after the games this weekend. Enjoy your holiday. Enjoy your Christmas if you celebrate. We'll talk to you guys soon. 
This was the Athletic Football Show.